two things to say about the calendar to start us off. We'll start off with the secular calendar. This year marks the 250th anniversary of the first public singing of perhaps the most famous hymn among the English-speaking people, Amazing Grace, written by John Newton, first sung by a church congregation on New Year's, New Year's Day in 1773 at the parish at which John Newton was the rector. An interesting character. There have been several documentaries made on his life and on this song. As a young man, he was pressed into the Navy. That means he got drunk one night and some sailors picked him up and put him on a boat. And the next thing he knew, he was in the Royal Navy. He wasn't very good. At one point, he was sentenced to 96 lashes, which I can't imagine. Uh, after that, he went into the slave trade, was a slave trader. He ticked all those people off too. His captain sold him into slavery in West Africa. He served as a slave in Africa for three years before his father sent someone to repurchase him and bring him back home. He stayed in the slave trade, uh, but on, in 1748, during a very bad storm, he cried out to God, and he says that marked his turn towards Christ. It took several years to turn to Christ, and if we were writing the movie, he would turn to Christ, accept Christ, and immediately leave the slave trade, but he did not for several years. In later life, he mourned greatly that he had accepted Christ and had continued on the slave trade and turned his life towards ending slavery. He writes of himself, It will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. It's a life of repentance. Not instant repentance, but a life of repentance. And one of the fruits of that is that hymn, Amazing Grace, as I said, perhaps the most famous hymn amongst things being people. The Library of Congress has more than 3,000 individual recordings of the song. It may be the most recorded hymn that we have. Well, it's the 250th anniversary of that hymn. I think it's worth commemorating. The other calendar to look at is our church calendar. This is the first Sunday of Epiphany. That's why we've moved from the white hangings to the green hangings, because green is the color of epiphany, because epiphany is about growth, and green is the color for growth. It's the growth of, of, of Jesus' teachings beyond just the Jewish people, but to Gentiles as well. And at the same time, the revealing of who Jesus really is. Epiphany. You may hear somebody say one sometime, I, I had an epiphany, and I realized, because that word epiphany means a revelation. Something's been revealed. A common symbol of epiphany is a, a symbol often used as a, as a candle. Sometimes you see people saying, I saw the light. That means they had an epiphany. They had a revelation. Well, the Feast of Epiphany started on January 6th. That's when we commemorated the wise men, the three wise men, three Gentiles who come to worship Jesus at the start of his human life as a symbol of the spread of Jesus' teachings to the Gentiles. Well, in our readings this morning, uh, Peter gets it. Now I realize, he says, now I realize that Jesus is for everyone. He should have realized that. He should have gotten it much earlier. Paul, the great rabbi, certainly knew the Old Testament. And the fact that the teachings of the Messiah would apply to all the Gentiles is all over the Old Testament. It's certainly in our Old Testament reading today from Isaiah 42. Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet, writing, Behold my servant. Isaiah says a lot about this servant. Spoiler alert, the servant is Jesus. Surprise, 
king. That's Jesus. Behold my service, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Oh boy, justice to the Gentiles. And Isaiah's hearers, he read, oh good, now they're going to get it. He's going to bring justice to them. But no, what does Isaiah say? A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. The coastlands wait. That's where the Gentiles live, amongst, on the coast. There are no ancient stories of great Jewish sailors. These are a desert people. The sea is scary. Whenever you see the sea mentioned in the Old Testament, it's used to invoke fear and chaos. In my reading of Scripture, I think only two Jewish guys got on boats, and one got swallowed by a whale, and one got shipwrecked. I mean, the boats are kind of scary. But those in the Gentiles and the coastlands, they wait for his law. They're not waiting to be punished for all the bad things they've done. They're waiting for his law. Why? Because this servant, Jesus, Isaiah says, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. A bruised reed. A reed is a hollow piece of grass that grows along the river. You can weave baskets out of them. If they're thick enough, you can make flutes out of them. But they're most commonly used as straws to drink out of, out of jugs of things. A bruised straw. I didn't know they made paper straws all the way back then. Up here in Alachua County, they've got out rid of all the plastic straws. Now you have to use paper straws. There are environmental reasons for that, and that's okay. I'm no, I'm, I'm no expertise in environmental science, but I am an expert in delivering beverages to my mouth. And paper straws... <laughs> are not suitable for that purpose. <laughs> to work, it must be strong. A while back, I stopped at a, a, cash and, or a um, Circle K in Williston, and uh, I got a, a drink. Don't worry, it was a diet drink. Don't tell my wife. And I got a, a diet drink, and there were no straws. I went to the cashier, and I said, are you out of straws? And she says, no, we keep them back here now. All the people from Gainesville are coming over here and grabbing hands full of straws. But you know, a bruised straw, what do you do with a bruised straw? You look at it, you pull it out, you throw it away. A smoldering wick. A smoldering wick is useless and smelly. You've seen a smoldering wick where the wick is just orange, it's not even sending out any light or heat, but it's just smoldering and it's burning the wick and sending up smoke. It's not even pretty smelling incense smoke. It's useless, it's worthless. But this servant, I say, will not discard the bruised reed, will not snuff out the smoldering wick, won't discard what's useless. Behold, Isaiah says, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. The old things were the law, the laws that had bruised people, that had smothered people, laws that called you a wretch, in Newton's words from Amazing Grace. But there's a new thing coming. 
that does not discard the bruised and the smothered and the wretches. It's a new thing, and that's God's grace. Well, God's grace permeates our gospel reading today, just as it permeates all of Scripture. The first Sunday after Epiphany is always the baptism of our Lord. We celebrate the baptism of our Lord. And it's interesting, when you look at the Gospels, that there are some stories that are important, but aren't mentioned in all the Gospels. We just made a big deal about Christmas, didn't we? And it's only mentioned in two of the Gospels. Isn't that interesting? We devote half of our service to the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, but it's only mentioned explicitly in three of the Gospels. I'm not saying they're unimportant, certainly. But in all four Gospels, we find the crucifixion of Jesus, we find the resurrection of Jesus, and we find the baptism of Jesus. This is important. Think about our last few Sundays. On Christmas, we celebrated the incarnation. God with us. But what kind of us is God with? How does God being with us? Well, last Sunday, we celebrated the dedication of Jesus in the temple, the circumcision of Jesus, where Jesus identifies with the Jewish people. But today, he's going to identify with a different group of people, and that's sinners. In his baptism, Jesus will identify with all sinners, with all of us, all of humanity, Jews and Gentiles, for there are none righteous, no, not one. Our gospel reading started with Jesus going to see John the Baptist. He leaves Galilee all the way to the north and he travels all the way to the south to see John the Baptist. Now, over the last few weeks, we've already said some things about John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. He's the last of the Old Testament prophets, the last representative of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And he is at the height of the law. And he calls out, repent, repent. You know the message of John the Baptist. Repent. You've all failed. You've all come short of God's requirements. You're a bunch of worthless bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. You're a bunch of wretches. So repent. Well, he's right. That's what we are. Bruised reeds and smoldering wicks and wretches. And we should repent. But even John has said, and we covered this a few weeks ago, that there's someone coming who has a bigger message than I have, a more important message than I have. He has something I don't have. There's one coming, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Repent, get your act together, John says, and we should. But there's someone coming with an even greater message. John has been preaching that God's winnowing fork is coming to separate the wheat from the chaff. The chaff, the worthless coating of the wheat grain that is so valuable. Well, John says there's a fork coming, he's going to stick it in the hay, the, throw it wheat, throw it up in the air. All the worthless stuff is going to float away and what's precious is going to fall to the ground. John the Baptist says there's fire coming to destroy the wicked. And those things are true But even John has no idea that the fire will fall on Jesus. That Jesus will be blown away like chaff so that we can become wheat. 
Well, I'm a bit ahead of myself here. John the Baptist, he's preaching repentance. He looks like a wild and crazy guy. He looks like Tom Hanks in Castaway. Just kind of wild and crazy guy. He's out there hollering, repent, repent. You bunch of wretches. And Jesus comes walking up. And he stands there for a minute. And he gets in the line with a big sign. There's a big sign, let's just say. And it says, sinners, line up here with an arrow. And Jesus looks up and sees it. And he goes over and gets in line. And John notices. Our reading said, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What a weird little dialogue here. Jesus agrees with John's reasoning. But he says, let it be so now. Jesus says, does, does not say, well, of course I need to repent of my sins. Of course Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, yeah, John, this is a little weird here. But let it be so, so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. Jesus doesn't join John in baptizing sinners. Instead, he gets in line with all the sinners. Jesus says, I'm with the sinners here. I'll take all their sins on me. He identifies with the sinners. You don't have to go too far to find some awkward Christmas photos. And you may even have some in the family album. Where there's a bunch of old people. And they've got those Christmas sweaters on. And they're all together for a family photo. And there's the grandma and grandpa and uncles and aunts. And there's you know, one teenage cousin who's dressed all in black. Standing on the edge. Wondering why he's been cursed with all these people in his family. Well, Jesus looks at all those people in their ugly Santa sweaters and he puts one on and he says, these are my people. He looks at us sinners. Bruised reeds, smoldering wicks, wretches. And he says, I'm with those people. I'm with the sinners. I'll take all their sins on me. We say Christian-sounding things like, Jesus took my sins, or Jesus died for my sins. Jesus carried my sins on the cross. And you might start to think, how and why and what? And, and well, the starting point is all right here. Jesus gets in line with the sinners and says, I'm with these people. I'll take their sins on myself. It's important to realize the baptism of John is not Christian baptism. That's something else that comes later. This is a baptism of repentance, a mark that you've gotten right with God. So why does Jesus go through this baptism? He has no sins to repent of. He has no need to get right with God, for he is God in the flesh. So why does he do this? He says so himself to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill his mission, he must identify with all of humanity with all of sinful humanity, with all sinners, and take their sins upon himself. And so he steps into the Jordan River with the rest of us. The Jordan River. I've been there. 
It's not a pristine fly fishing river in a movie set in Montana or something. Nor is it the mighty Mississippi or the Nile or the Tigris or Euphrates or the Yangtze or the Danube. It's muddy, dirty, and small. It looks a lot like an irrigation ditch. It starts off in the north with a melt from a snowy mountain, Mount Hermon, and the water's diverted south, all the way south, and by the time you get to where John was, it's hardly there. I've been there, and before the service, I was chatting with Dr. Pyron, and uh, he went to the same place. I described it, same place. It's about, it's the place traditionally where John was. He was somewhere in the vicinity. But the Jordan River, it's about 40 feet across, not even from here to the back wall. It's narrow. On the other side of the bank were some Jordanian soldiers. And on this side of the bank were some Israeli soldiers. They were Arab Israelis, and so they were talking to each other very nicely. Jordanians and Israelis get along just fine. And, and, and speaking to each other, it was that close. It's not very impressive. And Jesus lines up with the sinners, and he says, I'll identify with you. I'll take on your sins. And he steps into the muddy, mucky, nasty water that we swimmers, sinners, swim in. To, in his word, fulfill all righteousness. Because to be the Messiah, he must take all of our sins upon himself. And why is this important? Because if Jesus identified with us, and we identify with Jesus, and we are unified with Christ, then we can hear what Jesus hears. You are my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. You may feel like a bruised reed. You may feel like a smoldering wick. You may look at your life and say, I'm a wretch. But Jesus will not despise you. He became like we are to take our sins upon himself so that we can hear the call from heaven, you are my beloved child, and hear God say, I'm well pleased with you. And that is God's amazing grace, that he accepts us as his children, that he is pleased with us, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Amen.